Welcome in, everybody, to a year-end recap of the 2023 Mississippi Braves season and also the Braves minor league season in review. Chris Harris with you alongside Jack Sedegan, and I think we've uh, kind of had a little time to decompress from the season, which ended uh, last week. Take a step back and see uh, what our thoughts are on the uh, the previous season. But, uh, Jack, uh, we made it through another minor league season, and uh, I think that's uh, – <laughs> you know, that's always a, a positive thing. That was achievement number one, right? Everybody survived the season. The minor league season is, is such a grind. But, um, you know, we had such a great group this year. Uh, Tex leading the group, he, he was so great to us. Had a lot of great players as well that gave us so much of their time. It was just a lot of fun to cover the, the group this year. And uh, a lot of guys had great years. We saw a lot of guys go up to AAA at the end of the year. I know we'll get into it, but... Um, overall, I would say a very successful year for an Atlanta farm system that people probably didn't have very high expectations for coming into this year. I thought they did a great job. Yeah, there was a lot of question marks around this team coming into the season and really all around the Atlanta Braves organization from the minor league point of view. It really wasn't an organization that was highly regarded. It's still yeah. nece not necessarily according to the rankings is, but I think uh, the results at the top is really all that matters. The the Atlanta Braves going into their final week of the season, sitting at 100 wins, just a couple of uh, wins away from clinching home field advantage throughout the postseason. That's what it's all about. And uh, I guess let's start today with the AA All-Stars were announced. And for the M Braves, Luis De Avila was named one of the All-Star starting pitchers. And Luke Waddell was named the second baseman on the postseason all-star team and of course Waddell played most of his time with the Embraves at shortstop but uh, he gets a chance to make that postseason all-star team uh, Kyron Paris who ended up in the big leagues with the Angels was the starting shortstop but no surprise there with those two guys I mean you start first with with De Avila and I mean, he was maybe the, the most consistent pitcher throughout the entire Atlanta Braves organization outside of Alan Winans, who got some starts in the big leagues this year. And, you know, De Avila, a guy who was Rome's pitcher of the year last year, we knew he was a solid guy, but I think uh, I think everybody was, was overwhelmed with, with how successful he was this year. Yeah, I think so. And the expectation when he came into the Atlanta Braves organization was that they were going to trade a, or turn him into a starting pitcher. So they pick him up in the Rule 5 from Kansas City turn him into a starter with Rome, which was a process, but he still puts up good numbers. He comes up to double-A for the first time, and you know how it is. Double-A is the make-or-break level, and I think when De Avila got here, uh, you're kind of looking at this guy, and you go, okay, he's 5'11", he, he's not physically imposing. Mm -hmm. How good is he going to be? But his stuff is absolutely nasty, and that's why he did so well this year. He was top 10 in a bunch of categories, top 10 in strikeouts, opponent batting, uh, ERA, I believe, was second in the league, like right at 3.3. So he was a special, special pitcher this year. And the way he did it was impressive as well because his stuff was so good that guys just couldn't hit him. He just had nasty breaking stuff low in the zone and where guys were making contact, it was weak contact, mostly pop-ups around the infield. And I think when you look at De Avila, you say, okay, you get the walks down a little bit. This is a guy that can definitely make an impact at the major league level. 22 years old from Columbia, and you said it, you know, he, he you know, is not going to overpower you with his stuff, but the way he mixes his pitches, and, and to be honest, you know, we talked about it throughout the season watching him pitch is, you know, you, you really can't identify what pitches right. he's throwing at, at times. And we, we kind of joked with, with Landon Langston, our, our video 
video guy this year and analytics guy this year and Bo Henning about, you know, they don't even necessarily know uh, just with the naked eye what kind of pitches he's throwing. That changeup, he would mix it from 84 all the way up to 89, 90. Yeah. Uh, the fastball, the slider. Um, but he kept pitters off balance all year long. And I, I, a lot of times at this level, seeing guys come through double A, you, you don't necessarily judge them on when they have their best stuff, but right. when they don't. And I can remember a start he made against Rocket City this year in which he didn't have his best stuff, but still was able to get through four or five innings that start, give up just a couple of runs and, and minimize the damage. He really never got really rocked this year in a start. I think that yeah. speaks highly of, of the type of pitcher he is. Yeah, I agree with that. I think he had one tough start against Montgomery, and that was it. He was remarkably consistent. And we're talking about a pitcher that's throwing 91, 92 miles per hour max, but he's still throwing hitters off. His slider didn't even look like a slider. It was very slurvy pitch, hard to identify. His fastball would seemingly break in different ways as he threw it. Like, I didn't even understand his fastball. Yeah. It was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen, but... Guys couldn't keep up with it. It was like he was throwing at 99 just because of the movement on his fastball. The slider was great, and that changeup was nasty. It was a good put-away pitch for him. But he was good even when he didn't have his best stuff, and then when he did have his best stuff, he was unhittable at times. We saw him give up one hit or no hits, I think, in five or six of his 25 starts this year. When he was on, he was absolutely dominant. I think he's a guy to keep an eye on if you're a Braves fan. You know, this year he is eligible for the Rule 5 draft. They put him on the AAA roster, made the one start there, pitched pretty pretty well. So it'll have to be in the major league portion of the Rule 5 draft if he's taken and not put on that 40-man roster. I think that's an interesting decision that they have. Really don't think there's many other guys more deserving of a 40-man roster spot than him. Uh, that's a, maybe another discussion for another day, but uh, I think – him, Domingo Robles, they were the two bell cows of the rotation yeah. this year, the guys you could really count on each and every start. Robles, who first year in the organization coming over from, from St. Louis, had an ERA of six yeah. in Springfield last year, double A, comes over and has one of the best seasons in the league this year. He was you know, right there behind uh, De Avila all season long for a lot of those statistics. And, you know, I think that's uh, – you know, everybody asks, you know, where do the Braves find these people? It's just, you know, the way they uh, groom these guys. I know for, for Robles it was the, the slider. It was yeah. a pitch he developed in spring training. But uh, the pitching staff this year, despite not having a bona fide high-rated prospect all season long, I mean, tops in all of A baseball pretty much. Yeah, and I think that's a big credit to Bo Henning too. He works with these pitchers. Uh, uses analytics that the Braves care about. And if you go back to a couple of interviews that you and I both did with him this year, the big thing he puts emphasis on is the shape of pitches right. and helping build that velocity and kind of the pitch arsenal you're using. The Braves have a specific image in mind of the pitches they want their guys throwing. Bo Henning emphasizes that, the pitches this organization thinks are the most effective. And we've seen guys do a great job with that. Robles was a good example adding that slider, that became a great pitch for him. And for Robles, people forgot about him a little bit this year because he had such a great start, then he kind of fell off in the middle of the season in June and early July, but he flipped a switch and turned it right back on. I think he's a guy that knows how to pitch to double-A hitters, and as he continues to grow, I think he's got a great shot to potentially get up to triple-A and try and make his way into the big leagues, but he was certainly a surprise. And Atlanta just seems to do this again and again, right? They pick up a guy that... 
you know, maybe the rest of the league is down on and they say, we've got a vision for you like De Avila. We're going to turn you from a reliever into a starter like Daniel Martinez. Mm -hmm. who's was another one this year. They yeah. turned him into a starter from Oakland and they scout these guys well and they have a plan for what they're going to do with them. And I think players appreciate that and they gain confidence as well when they come in and uh, pitching coach like Bo Henning says, we love this, this, and this about mm -hmm. you. Here's our plan for you. And now the player sees a future that they can grow into, so they buy into that as well. That's a huge, huge uh, statement you just made there and, and right on point as to uh, why there are so many successful guys coming out of this farm system more than most organizations right now. Uh, Luke Waddell, the other all-star, uh, what more can you say about Luke? He is uh, a very underrated talent. Uh, in this organization, he hit 290 out of 395 on base percentage. That's just kind of the top layer of Luke Waddell because of what he provides. I mean, he doesn't give up at bats. He had one of those uh, super long at bats, like a 15, 16 pitch at bat this year. Uh, his defense at shortstop, second base, mostly shortstop, was unbelievable. His range, his arm, uh, he just one of those guys that I would love to know what his what his war was this year for uh, for the Embrace because when he was in the lineup and he wasn't in AAA, um, this team was a much, much, much better team when he was in that three-hole. Yeah, I agree, and I think he's a good clubhouse presence as well. A lot of guys gravitate towards him. Uh, it creates a great atmosphere. Him and Cal Conley were kind of at the top doing that uh, this year for the guys. But I look at somebody like Luke Waddell, and I just think consistency, reliability. Those are the two biggest things he brings. He was in the lineup pretty much every day. If you put together his AAA and AA games this year, he played 130 games out of, what, 140 possible games. That's about as much as you will see a guy play at this level, and that's coming off an injury. He only played like 40 games last year, so that was impressive to see. He was just consistent. He doesn't give away at bats, like you said. He's going to make contact. He's extremely difficult to get out with two strikes. And then his defense, especially his quickness and his range at shortstop, are probably the two biggest things. I think Atlanta views him very highly. He's a guy that was a 2021 uh, draft pick, fifth rounder, and he was the first guy in that draft class to get to double A. And we've seen Atlanta move guys up quickly. He was the quickest one to get up in 2021. And I know Atlanta is locked down positionally at a lot of levels in the big leagues, but shortstop has still been a big question mark for this this group, even with Arcia having the year he's had. And I think Waddell is a great guy to have in the organization, and Atlanta knows if they do have to turn to him, they're going to get a great defender in that spot. The MVP of the league was Junior Caminero, and I don't think either of us uh, can argue that uh, at all. It may have been some previous Montgomery Biscuit um, MVPs uh, that, that I disagreed with, but... Uh, Junior Caminero, I think you and I both would uh, would attest he was just different. Yeah. Uh, you got a chance to to see him quite a bit this year, just like I did. You got a chance to call for his team, actually. Yeah. Call some big moments for him this year. Um, just a special third baseman. You see him already in the big leagues. Uh, already has some, some hits, some RBIs with Tampa Bay, and he's going to have a, a long, long career. Yeah, he's different, like you said. and His athleticism is unbelievable. He's built – like a linebacker in the NFL. His legs and the strength he has in his lower body, it's just unbelievable to watch him hit. And he's got a violent swing, but the thing about his swing, it's violent and it looks like he's selling out, but he could still hit for contact. It's not like he's a guy who's selling out for power every single at-bat. And then his defense was a big question mark, but from what I saw and I think from what you saw, 
I thought he was a great defender. Like I, I watched him play at this level and said, this is a guy that can definitely man the hot corner in the big leagues. I don't think that that's something that's going to hold him back. Mm-hmm. And the bat is special. He's just a great player. And from everybody I've talked to, the interactions I've had with him, uh, a great kid as well. He's still learning his way. He's just 20 years old. But his attitude, his energy it is unmatched. And that video uh, when he got pulled up was pretty oh, yeah. cool to see as well. You, you love chances like that where you get inside the locker room and, and you could see the – the emotion in the moment for a player like that, I think he was just shocked that he got to the big league level, and, and that was really cool to see. P- PSA for all people within minor leagues, as many of these moments you can actually capture. We saw with Yuri yes. Perez earlier this year with Pensacola uh, that you can capture of guys being told they're going to the big leagues, the better, because that's only it's only great for the game and, and yeah. great for uh, the players, their families, and creating a really cool moment. Uh, for these for these people, that was that was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and some guys sometimes they want to keep it in house. Like I know with Michael Harris and mm-hmm. Bruce Crab, they wanted to make it a team only thing just because of what they felt like the situation was. And I, I see I see it great both ways. It, it kind of depends on the player and their personality. If you know um, they would rather it be a private moment, or if they don't mind it being public, a guy like Junior Caminero and his energy, I'm sure he loved seeing that video on social media. Loved. Um, that they captured that moment for him. And you look at a guy like Michael Harris and you say, you know, the fact that that was brought up in the emotional environment of teammates that he had known for years, um, you know, Bruce Crabb getting to break that news for him. And I, while I wish, I wish we had that moment, I think that, um, you know, that's another good way to go about it too. So yeah. both ways are great. Um, let's, uh, one other all-star that, that we, we should mention and they'll, they'll announce triple a all-stars next week. But South Atlantic League All-Star Drake Baldwin, we got a chance to see him for 14 games. He hit one home run. Um, I think, obviously, he, you know, he gets the promotion to AAA, hits a home run there. Yeah. Um, you know, we only saw him for a couple of weeks. He came up, you know, and he was up with, with Hurston Waldrop. They both came up the same day. And he, he kind of had a lower back injury, just yeah. a little nagging thing because of – uh, the the travel to get here, so he missed the first few days, so it was kind of hard for him uh, to get acclimated as quickly as he wanted. But once he settled in, you could see how good that bat is, and why he's considered the top catching prospect in the organization. The the way he handles the pitching staff, the way he uh, handles the bat as well. You know, I, one of the guys I think this year that probably barreled up the most of anybody uh, in the organization this year. I mean, when he put the barrel on the baseball, um, you know, it was it was it was it was loud. Uh, we saw him hit one over the batter's eye in Pensacola and that doesn't happen very often, but I think Drake Baldwin, uh, 22 years old, uh, third round pick out of Missouri State, you know, you know what the situation is at catcher for the next several years in the big leagues, but here's a guy that is going to create some some havoc at the top of this organization the next couple of years. Yeah, it's always a plus when you have a catcher that can hit, right? Especially with how good uh, Drake is defensively. He moves pretty well. He's got a good arm. Um, like you mentioned, his communication with the pitchers is top tier. I think that was part of moving him up as well. They had some pitchers moving up the system, and they wanted Baldwin to get a chance to work with some of those top guys. Mm-hmm. And I think that speaks very highly of what Atlanta um, thinks about his ability to work with pitchers, his ability to connect uh, with pitchers, especially new pitchers in the organization, seeing Waldrop and Hackenberg get up to Double A as quickly as they did, um, he's got a huge future. And I know Atlanta has um, two catchers that they like very much in in Darno um, and Murphy. But 
Drake Baldwin is a special player, great guy, and outside of that little back thing that held him up for about five days, yeah, great year. Um, let's talk about you mentioned Hackenberg. We've touched on Waldrop, um, AJ Smith, Jover, the the big pitching prospects. You know, according to to Baseball America, according to MLB Pipeline, the ones the fans that you know the, they you know hear about and, and want to know about. Yeah. Um, let's start first with with AJ Smith, Jover, because. We only got to see him for two starts. One was on the road. It was rain shortened. One was at home. That was back in the first half of the season when we were still using that experimental uh, baseball that had the pre-tack on it that was creating all the controversy that was creating really uh, a lot of extra vertical break on everybody, especially with him. And, you know, going back to the first half and that decision-making, I think at, at that point everybody was – Excited about him being in double A. I think we were excited to have him maybe for the remainder of the season. It became apparent that, you know, he was going to be potentially going to factor in at the major league level, and they wanted him to get to triple A to use the uh, regular major league baseballs, and he did get up there quickly, make his major league debut, and I think for him it's, it's you know, been maybe more up and down than he would have liked, but, Man, with with AJ, that that's a guy who who has explosive stuff, and you know I don't know what he's gonna do for the remainder of this season, the postseason, but uh, he's an impressive kid. For better or worse, I think Spencer Strider changed the way Atlanta viewed mm-hmm. pitchers in this organization. They saw him just rocket up through the system, and they said, "What if we can do that again? And what if we can replicate that?" And they've tried to do that with some of these guys with some success. We saw A.J. smith Shaver, a guy who was playing multiple sports. I mean, pitching wasn't even his number one priority until like a year ago. And he's now pitching in the big leagues. So when you could take raw talent, mold that, and know we're going to keep pushing them up through the system and they're just going to get better and better, I think that's what happened with A.J. Atlanta said, he's only going to get better. So if we keep pushing him through the system, yeah, he might have some up and downs at the big league level, but he's going to figure it out, and he will continue to figure it out. He's just going to get better. He's what now, 21 years old? Maybe he's still 20 years old. Yeah. I mean, he's got so much room to grow. Spencer Strider was a guy coming out of college when they moved him up quickly. So I look at A.J. smith Shaver, and I think great big league future ahead of him, and Atlanta might need it, right, because you got Max Freed on the last year of his – uh, on the last year of arbitration after next year, you've got Charlie Morton continuing on one-year deals. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen with Kyle Wright. So anytime you can add pitching depth and get more guys on your pitching staff that look like Spencer Strider, that's what Atlanta's going for. Yeah, five games, four starts for him at the major league level. 1-0, 4.57 earned run average for Smith Schauber. 18 strikeouts, 21 and two-thirds innings. Um, Hurston Waldrop. Here, I mean, here's a guy put he and, and Drew Hackenberg in the same category because they were drafted in July, which, you know, to me, the way guys are being promoted, I mean, we saw uh, Nolan Shanuel, who was with Rocket City yep. in early August, and two weeks later he was in the big leagues playing for the Angels. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the way that they're promoting guys aggressively is is something that's that's interesting uh, to see that that really has never been done before, but with Hurston Waldrop, here's a guy who, you know, pitched in the SEC this year for Florida, two years at Southern Miss. Uh, prior to that, so some really, really, really high-level college baseball uh, coming into, uh, you know, his professional career, and you know he just zooms past to the first couple of levels, comes to Double A, and you know here's a guy who has some 
unbelievable stuff. Um, I think Bo Henning, you know, really talked about the fact that maybe at Florida he was uh, throwing the curveball maybe a little bit too much at times, and maybe that's why he even dropped down the draft sure. a little bit for them to get him throwing the slider, uh, throwing the uh, the splitter, the split finger changeup, and then the fastball in the upper 90s. You know, we had four guys this year that were throwing the splitter. And I would say probably Waldrop's is number two to Brooks Wilson. That's just how good we'll talk about his pitch in, in just a second. We had a question about that. But um, that Waldrop splitter is absolutely devastating. And to go along with that 97, 98-mile-an-hour fastball, we saw him get a start in AAA. He was very successful there. He's done for the season. I think a lot of people were speculating whether or not he would be on the postseason roster. He's thrown a lot of innings this year. He threw a lot yeah. of innings for Florida well over 100 innings for his college season. I think it surprised us that he was still pitching as much as he was even at this point, at right. this level, much less uh, you know, potentially making the postseason roster. But here's a guy that has a bright, bright, bright future. Wouldn't be surprised at all if he comes back, starts next year in double-A, mm-hmm. um, just, to, just to get him some more innings here than probably get to triple-A pretty quickly and maybe even to the major leagues. Who knows? We had Jared Schuster and Dylan Dodd make the rotation out of spring training this year. You never know. He's that good. But here's a guy with a really, really high ceiling and maybe some of the best stuff we've seen come through here. Yeah, I think he's got really good stuff. A lot of teams in the big leagues now are viewing college guys as players they can get up quickly. We saw Matt Shaw come up for the Cubs, 13th overall mm-hmm. pick out of Maryland. Yep. And he torched us that series we played against him. He was the best player on the Smokies. He was he was fantastic. He's a great player. And I think teams are saying, okay, we can get these guys up to double A and higher quickly and kind of see what they have, especially coming right out of college when guys are maybe 22, 23, 24 years old and you want to get them to the big leagues faster before they start to age. But I look at Waldrip and I think he's got great stuff. I think there's a lot of growth that needs to happen. Um, and we need to see him go deeper into some games, right? They limited his innings in double A AA and triple A because of the innings he threw this year at Florida. I think we need to see him throw six innings in a double A start, six innings in a triple A start, and see uh, how he does second, third time through the order against some of these double AA, A, triple A hitters. But obviously, Atlanta was thrilled to get him at 24, and they want to rock it 24th overall, and they want to rocket him up through the system as fast as possible. Hackenberg, we saw him make uh, just one start. It really people ask, well, why would he jump from Augusta to Double A Mississippi? It was mainly because we had a spot, um, and Rome really did not. So you know he was able to get a start at the Double A level. It didn't go very well for him, but I think from talking to some scouts who were at that at that start, you know they noticed that his stuff is is good. But you know a lot of times the biggest difference when you get to this level as opposed to the single-A levels is you're not going to get as many chases on a lot of the pitches that maybe will bounce in the dirt on your breaking stuff, your, your change-up. And for him, that was the case. You know, they, you know, Pensacola, a very veteran Miami Marlins roster, was not chasing a lot of that stuff. And it uh, turned into, you know, four walks in a row and a very, very short outing. But, you know, Drew, out of um, – a family of, of great yeah. athletes, a brother <laughs> playing in the MLS, a brother who was a great quarterback at Penn State, got drafted in the NFL, another brother who's in AAA with the White Sox, a catcher. Um, you know, makeup of a player is is a lot uh, of what you want when you draft a player. And his makeup coming from a family like that leads you to believe he's going to be a very successful professional player. Not to mention, you know, he's got 
some really, really good pitches. Here's all you need to know about what Atlanta thinks about Drew Hackenberg. They drafted him probably 75 slots over his projected draft position, Mm -hmm. and then they paid him over slot for his draft position in the second round. That's how badly they wanted Drew Hackenberg in the organization. His stuff is good. Um, He's got the makeup and the family, like you said. It's just a matter of time for him. And I know everybody sees guys like Spencer Strider and Michael Harris and watches them rocket up through minor league baseball and say, well, why can't we get more guys that can do that? Mm -hmm. Because those guys are really, really special, right? It's not that easy for everybody else. We even saw Strider come up to double A and struggle a little bit uh, when he made some double A starts. Yeah. So I think Drew Hackenberg is a similar situation. We might see him struggle a little bit, but when he does figure it out – he can be really good, and Atlanta likes his stuff for sure. He's probably a guy that that starts in high A next year. Yeah, uh, I would say, and and works his way up to double A next year. I don't think there's really a, a really a rush for him. Um, but those are those are three guys I think that you know deserve mentioning. Um, outside of those three, I really didn't have anybody else you know selected. But is there anybody who you think might be someone who who made a, a huge leap this year and you know, Braves fans should should pay attention to. Yeah, and I think this guy deserves a shout-out. Um, he might not be with the Braves next year, but I think Drew Lugbauer deserves a shout-out for the growth he had this year. I mean, he was so good. The best season he's ever had at the AA level. I know he's going to be a free agent coming up. Uh, we might not see him with Atlanta next year. He might resign. Who knows? But um, his growth this year, he, he was a special player. I've not seen a bat with the raw power that Drew Lugbauer has. So I, I think his growth is going to really help him when he tries to make that jump to AAA in the big league level, whether that's with Atlanta or anybody else. But, um, you know, I think Atlanta fans should be hoping that he does potentially come back. Sticking on, sticking on the pitching side, um, Tyler Owens, a guy I think that, that folks should really keep an eye on, battled some injuries. Finally this year was was healthy for the most part, 14 games, four starts, and a 4.21 ERA. 25 strikeouts, 25 innings. Um, another guy who I, I really, really like. We only saw him seven times with Patrick Halligan, uh, right-handed pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, seven games, one start, nine innings, struck out 11, walked two. He developed that splitter as well, held opponents just a 188 average. How about uh, Alan Ranhell? What's mm-hmm. the prognosis on him? He struggled to start the year. Um, that big loss number, he had like 15 losses despite the fact that he was pitching okay and then he just turned it on at the end of the year and gets called up to triple a like where is he going to be next year i think atlanta fans need to keep an eye on um his potential he's getting older but we've seen guys like Degrom, you know hit their prime at 26 27 and all of a sudden they figure it out well for for allen and he, he's a guy who started the definitive game five of the Sun right. league championship back in 2021 so here's a guy who has had some some high leverage situations and and su- succeeded you know, I think for, for Allen, it's more so a mental thing. He's got the stuff. It's just a matter of, you know, can he, you know, create that focus and that have that mindset of I'm going to go out and I'm going to beat you when you're on the mound instead of kind of at times just going through the motions and you go through the motions and you're going to get exposed pretty quickly uh, in high-level professional baseball, and that's kind of been the case for him. Um Kyle Wilcox, a guy that's older as well, but yep. I think when he, was, when he was really – he went through a little bit of a – stretch where he kind of had a dead arm in his numbers. I say balloon, but he, his ERA ballooned to 2.13. 36 appearances for Wilcox at, at AA this year. 2.13 earned run average, 42 and a third inning, 64 strikeouts for him. Now, 
pitching at age 28 at AA, you should be able to dominate. He did. Um, there were some times where he was just absolutely unhittable. And, you know, he's got to figure out a way to create the success at a higher level. But he's a guy, I think, still – and you talk to kind of Koa Teixeira, people in the organization, they really still like what Kyle Wilcox brings to the equation. So he's a guy to kind of keep an eye on. Same thing with Trey Riley. Trey Riley along the lines of Alan Renhell. You know, here's a guy, 42 appearances this year, uh, had a 4.070 RA, 59 strikeouts, 48 two thirds, but he had 41 walks. So at times we saw Riley be extremely dominant. At times he was not. He kind of let uh, the mental side of the game, as he admitted to uh, uh, to us on occasion, you know, kind of got the best of him. But he's a guy that has a lot of high upside as well. Offensive side of things, we talked about Waddell, uh, we talked about Drake Baldwin. Um, offensively, you know, let's be honest, it wasn't a great year offensively for this club, but the three guys that really uh, were the catalyst of this team was Cody Milligan, uh, Luke Waddell, Drew Logbauer, uh, and at times Cal Conley because of uh, his consistency. But Cody Milligan's a guy this year. He ended up playing in 69 games. Nice, I know. 280 uh, was his average uh, on the season with, let's see, had uh, – uh, 22 RBIs, 38 walks. Like a 400 uh, on base. Yeah. Th- 377 on base, 414 slugging, 791 was his OPS. Um, stolen bases, he had 23. He was 23 for 27. He's a, Here's a guy, okay, Cody Milligan starts out the season extremely well. You know, he's hitting close to 400, has one bad game, and uh, he, he – Gets hurt. He he hurts himself. Let's be honest. He 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 got a little angry. He hurt himself. Freak accident. Um, he misses a couple of months. I, I would really like to know how many wins the Embraers finished the year sixty two and seventy five. If he doesn't miss forty games, I would kind of like to know what the record would have been. Now he could have probably ended up in Triple A. Sure. Um, you know, had he played the entire season, but um, you know, if you give me a guy to to go battle with. Um, out of everybody in the Southern League, there's probably nobody outside of the top five I would grab uh, besides Cody Milligan. I mean, he, he just created havoc defensively uh, when he got on base, maybe at times somewhat over-aggressive, but you would prefer that over the opposite. But just a lot of fun to watch at the top of the lineup. Yeah, he brought a lot of energy to this team. When he came back, it, it was just a different feeling in the clubhouse. When he was back leading the top of the order and um, – like you mentioned, he's a guy that just goes to battle every day. I mean, he plays every game like it's his last game. Some, <laughs> sometimes you watch him play and you're like, this guy is crazy. But, like, he's the good kind of crazy, right? He's just – he loves the game so much. He loves competing so much that he's giving it his all every play. For better or worse, like you mentioned, sometimes he would be so aggressive where you're like, this guy is just not making the right decision or he's he's doing something that's not helping the team but then that over aggression would pay off at times because teams would get flustered they'd make mistakes and he would cause some havoc on the bases he would spark things late in games doing stuff like that that I think really helped this team and like you mentioned it wasn't the year offensively that Mississippi was hoping to have I think there were some bright spots um Jesse Franklin on the road I mean how much did he struggle at Trustmark Park he just had such a hard time hitting a Trustmark Park, and then he got on the road, and and all of a sudden he was swinging the bat really well. And I think there are a few guys on this club, Cade Bunnell, Landon Stevens, probably in that group, that if you put them in a different ballpark <laughs> this year, they probably hit you know 
seven or eight more home runs each versus playing half their games at Trustmark Park. Check this out for, for Jesse Franklin. On games away from Trustmark Park this year, 44 games, he had a 944 OPS, 13 home runs, 29 RBIs, 378 on base. On the road, 50 or at home, 50 games, hit 189, 531 OPS, two home runs, 17 RBIs. That's, I mean, we usually see the splits, you know, at Trustmark Park, which is which is one of the toughest ballparks to hit in, in all the minors, um, especially hit home runs. Um, but that split may be the most exaggerated that I've seen in my years here, which goes back to 2018. Um, just remarkable. I, I mean, Jesse, I think, probably would say, even with Drew Lugbauer, the top power guy, I mean, when he when he connects with a baseball, he hits some of the longest home runs. Him and Landon Stevens, probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, Land, for Landon as well, if we want to lump him into this kind of guys that, you know, have upside that maybe didn't live up to, to the potential that uh, they would have liked this year. You know, for Landon, you know, I think kind of on the lines with, with Hell and with sure. Riley, it's a, it's a big mental thing with him. And, and, you know, I think Landon's a fantastic uh, ball player and, and, you know, great power hitter, comes from a great place, has good mechanics. Sometimes he lets the mental side of the game, you know, get the best of him at times. But, um, you know, that stuff like that can be, can be fixed. You can't fix a guy's – you know, talent. Sure. You, know, you can fix, you know, I mean, there's so many, there's tons and tons of players that have gone through some mental funks in their careers and they've gone on to, to have great, you know, major league careers. Landon's a guy that, you know, and he's probably spend this offseason maybe just flushing baseball out of his sure. mind for a little bit and get back on. But, you know, one one thing when he gets going offensively, you know, I remember that, that road trip we had uh, to Tennessee and to Chattanooga. You know, he really got on a hot streak there yeah. in July. One of the best hitters in the in the league in minor league baseball in June and July. And, uh, you know, hopefully he can replicate that again. Yeah, and I think he had some physical limitations at the end of the year as well. He was hampered by a couple of things that he was playing through that made it difficult for him, you know, to get to some of the pitches he wanted to get to. Pitchers, start, pitchers started throwing the ball away from him, and that hurt him. Um, you know, when he was battling some of those things. But he certainly has great upside, especially with that power potential. All right, uh, eight major league debuts so far this year. Uh, Jared Schuster, Dylan Dodd, Braden Shoemake, A.J. Smith-Shaver, uh, Alan Winans, Daisbel Hernandez, Darius Fines, and then the last one was with Colorado, Victor Vodnik, who was part of the three guys that we lost in trades at the deadline to the Rockies. Um, eight guys making it now 169 Embrace players since 05 that have gone to make, make their major league debuts. Um, biggest surprise out of those eight, this year making their major league debuts in your mind? I would say Victor Vodnik, just because when we saw him this year, it didn't really seem like there was a path for him. His stuff was great. Um, you're kind of like, all right, he was battling some mental stuff too. He was up and down in between outings. You thought, how is this guy going to make it happen? How is he going to get to the next level? But um, Colorado really liked him. They had scouted him. Um, they traded for a bunch of guys. They got him... Alec Barger, and then um, who was the third player? That, Tanner Gordon. Tanner they picked Gordon, up yeah. Tanner Gordon and that group as well. And Colorado saw something in him, and I think he could be a very impactful pitcher at the big league level. I know Atlanta was happy with what they got in return for those trades, but I was really you know, impressed by how quickly Victor Vodnik put it together and figured things out to get to that big league level. I think he can be a great big league pitcher. I know that was a big goal of his coming into this year to – to try and make that jump quickly, especially yeah. starting in Double A, and I'm really happy for him. I was a little bit surprised, but then 
you looked at his stuff and you said, if this guy just has a little bit of growth this year, maybe that change of scenery helped him. Sure. Um, that made the difference. Um, yeah, going back to Vodnik, I think Victor is a guy that you and I both really appreciate as a as a as a human being. We we really enjoyed having conversations with him, and you know, we talk about mental mental aspects. We talk about you and I going through <laughs> our <laughs> mental struggles throughout the season as well. Um, and it's and it's fun to talk to to, to players and and talk about their struggles as too and as well. And you know, for Victor when he came up to Double A for the first time, you know, he was a really I mean, he'll self admit, you know. He was an immature kid. Yeah, uh, made some mistakes, and and you know, but I I give him so much credit. Like he, you know, he put his his two daughters' names on his glove, um, and really wanted to focus on playing for them and making them proud. And you know, I I was watching the the clip of I think it was Kelsey Wingard on Twitter posting uh, the the Rockies rookie hazing going to get coffee down yeah. the, down the street from Wrigley Field, and I saw him, and I'm just thinking, you know. Here's a guy that was not necessarily thinking about giving up baseball, but wondering if if it's you know something he could you know could continue and and yeah. now getting to pitch at the major league level at Wrigley Field, you know, good for him. It's just amazing, uh, you know, seeing that happen for someone. Even though it wasn't with the Atlanta, you know, certainly happy for for Victor Vodnik and you know for for all those guys. Alan Winans, I think, was one that I was probably the most proud to see because you know here's a guy that's what 29 years old. Yeah. That that makes his major league debut. The Mets gave up on him, and you know he got to shove the Mets I, <laughs> as well. Well, I told you last year when he pitched for us, I his first couple starts he made, I looked at you after one of them and I go, he could be a big leaguer. Yeah. He really could. And Atlanta believed in him. He believed in himself. Mm-hmm. Getting a shove against the Mets, yeah, not a, not a better feeling. Than you know, that. that's amazing though. We, we can watch guys at this level, and you can say, okay, that could play in the big leagues. But because your name is Alan Winans, you probably don't get that opportunity. You know, but mm. but here he is. You know, it was kind of the perfect storm of of injuries and and things that happened, and, and you know, all of a sudden, boom, you have the opportunity, and he made it. He made it count, and be fun to watch him the rest of the year as well. Um, all right, we're we're. Closing in on uh, about uh, 45 minutes or so. <laughs> so, uh, top moment uh, in your mind from the 2023 season can be can be around the entire organization. I know, you know, the no hitters in Rome were, were a lot of fun to watch. Um, you know, but for the uh, for the Embrace season, uh, I'll go first. I'll give you a chance to kind of threw that one on you but i've got i've got a good one in my head okay i'll see if you're thinking the same thing we, we, we may be thinking the same thing. i had to look back to make sure i knew what the exact date was but it was august 6th drew Lugbauer his three home run game uh also that day by the way that was against montgomery junior Caminero had two home runs that game uh the mvp of the Sun league now with the the tampa bay rays in the big leagues but seeing drew hit those three home runs and something unbelievably over 100 home runs in the minor league career never had a three homer game had really never had a, a multiple home run game until this year to do that and then when he uh you know finally got out there and, and did the interview with you I, I thought that was that was a special moment you know drew's uh feel like he's a family friend around here you know with with everything <laughs> that he's been through and the ups and downs he got hurt for that month and you wonder if that impacted him getting traded at the deadline because there were some teams that were very much interested in in him and you just wonder if that injury impacted it but that three homer game seeing the joy on his face on his teammates face you know how special a player is when his teammates is they're more excited than he is for that moment and that was the case that night and and just seeing two power hitters make this ballpark which is the toughest to hit 
home runs in in minor league baseball look tiny. That was that was a special night. Yeah, and the funny story behind that is I had interviewed Drew at the beginning of the week, and he had a terrible night. I think I interviewed him like Tuesday night. He went like 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. And I'm coming back to the clubhouse. We had blown a late lead as well in that game. And he goes, every time I do an interview with you guys, it's like <laughs> I have a bad game. He's like, I can't do it anymore. Well, the next night he hits two homers. So I'm like, well, you interviewed with me two days ago. Then you hit two homers. So he hits two homers, and I have to get him for a post-game interview. Another interview. Well, then another night, I think it was, was it the very next night after he hit two homers? It was, was the next two night, nights? yeah. Next night, he hits three. And I'm running down there to get the post-game interview, and I kind of see Drew out of the corner of my eye. He heads to the dugout, grabs his stuff, and I'm like, all right, he'll probably turn around. He knows I'm going to grab him for the post-game. Then he kind of ducks into the tunnel. So I'm running through the tunnel, kind of running past guys. I'm like, Drew, Drew, like lugs. He kind of turns around, and he cocks his head back. He's like, no, I can't today, man. And he comes up to me, and his reasoning, I thought, explains a great deal of his personality. He goes, you know, that really wasn't about me. I go, you just hit three home runs. That's never happened at this ballpark before. I mean, you have to do the interview for the fans. Like, it's just such a big moment. He's like, I don't want to make it about me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, sometimes it's okay to make it about you. <laughs> like, sometimes you have a historic night like that, and the fans want to celebrate. And I think he really appreciated when he went out there and he saw the crowd reaction to how he played and how excited everybody was to come out and see him play so well knowing his name in the community, which a lot of people do. Yeah. Uh, that was a really special moment. And getting to do that interview with him was, was one of the coolest moments this year. I, that's fu- that wasn't the first one that come to, came okay. to my head, what but was it was really one? cool. The, the first one that came to my head was around that eight-game losing streak in April, April 22nd, I think, back into the doubleheader against Montgomery. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. It yeah. became an eight-game losing yep. streak, and Jacob Pearson hits mm-hmm. that walk-off grand yep. slam for a guy who – has you know battled the last couple of years with injury. Um, he just had his first child this year with his wife Faith, uh, Jesse. Huge congrats to them. Um, and this year was a real struggle for him. He spent a lot of time on the injured list. Um, you know he was dealing with um, his wife having a baby as well, uh, giving birth in the middle of the season. And for him to hit that grand slam yeah. at the moment he did when this team needed it the most. He came through with one of the biggest moments this year, and the smile on his face after that was – I don't think I've ever seen a bigger smile on a yeah. player's face than after he hit that grand slam. Just a special kid, and, and a year that he'll never forget, and the fact that you know he has his first uh, first child. You yeah, know? Jesse. Named him after Jesse Franklin. <laughs> Apparently, right? Um, but that was actually the night that Cody Milligan got hurt. Yeah. <laughs> From the first well. game, right? Yeah. Is that from the first yeah. game of double Yeah, I think yeah. he tried to play through it, but didn't yeah. work out. Nonetheless, special night for sure. And, yeah, yeah, that was that was really cool to see. And, you know, major league debuts are always fun. Guys getting called up are, are always always fun. I think Lugbauer getting the, the call that he was going to the – going to triple A was, was, was a, a special uh, time as well. But um, there were good moments. We had, what, eight walk-offs this year. Uh, everyone seemed to be different by different players. Uh, which kind of, you know, kind of told a, a lot of the story of the season. There really wasn't, you know, just one guy who was the consistent star offensively on the on the club. We have some uh, some Twitter questions want to get to, and uh, Scott uh, uh, provided us with uh, a good uh, list of questions here and some others. Good questions here. Best player for Mississippi that played this year. That's kind of a broad brush. <laughs> Best player for Mississippi that played this year. 
high, you want to go highest ceiling player for Mississippi that has the highest ceiling, let's say, uh, kind of reword that question. Gosh, I, that's a you tough know, one. That is a tough one. You know, I don't, I don't know. I, I would, I would say maybe AJ Smith Shaver. I would say, yeah. I mean, it would be easy to say like Waldrip. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, right. He just a guy was already the number two prospect in this organization. MVP um, of the team. Who would be the MVP of the 2023 Mississippi Braves? I mean, I, to me, I say I say Luke Waddell. It's got to be him or Davila, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think that's a no brainer. I, I would say Waddell consistently was probably the best player in terms of his floor. I would say in terms of the biggest potential. Oh, it's so hard to say. I. Maybe Davila in terms of the potential he has to grow. I'm trying to think who else. I think Jesse Franklin could be interesting next sure. year and his potential. Mm-hmm. Um, good question, though. I don't yeah. know. Good question. Um, who has the nastiest pitch in the Embrace bullpen? I'm going to say the splitter slash forkball from Brooks Wilson. I'm sure you, yeah, <laughs> you, you knew that was what I was going to go with. Um, it probably is. The, the, the uh, Kyle Wilcox slider. Uh, certainly has to be uh, be up there as well. When it was on, it was really, really good. Yeah, I I would go with the Brooks Wilson splitter. That thing was didn't really seem like a real pitch. Like it was almost like if you if you threw a pitch and then the screen glitched and it went from mm-hmm. up here to down there. Yeah, and the hitter was just like, "Wait, what just happened?" Like I I don't I don't understand what just happened. That that pitch is what got him on the forty man roster. And when you're injured for two years. It's really hard to come back, but when he came back and he was throwing that splitter, I was like, he's right back where he was two years ago. I think he could really shoot himself up through the system. He he came to this level having been injured for two years, and I the first time I saw him pitch, I kind of looked at you and said, this guy is yeah. above this level. I think, I think I was going to you and said, I said, watch, watch this. Yeah, he was, <laughs> he I, I talked to you after the game, and I said, this guy's he's above double a right yeah. now. He's just on a different level. He's he's triple a major league potential guy. Yeah, I'm. His story's crazy, by the way. He got got hurt at the end of 2021 going into the strike, the the CBA negotiation. Had just been put on the 40-man roster. Of course, there's no contact between teams and players at this point. So he's hurt, and he has to go through some interesting channels, by the way, to get some treatment. Goes from November all the way until March with an injured elbow. Finally has surgery in late March, and and just really a, a weird timing. Never never a good timing to have Tommy John or get hurt, but really really weird going into that strike portion. And for people that don't know, especially is your treatment is covered under the team's plan, and they they help direct that treatment mm-hmm. and pay for it. So when everybody's on strike and there's no deal to be reached, you're kind of in limbo trying to figure out what that plan is or um, when to potentially get surgery, get treatment. All right, some fun questions. Uh, favorite stadium giveaway this year? For us yeah. or just for anybody? I guess uh, it could be for, for – we can do both. Um, For us, had to be the Michael Harris bobblehead, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was probably the most coveted item we gave away. That was the coolest. The Riley, peace sign. Riley was the most uh, oh, yeah. longest line. Riley, yeah, I forgot about the Riley one. With the, with the uh, Mississippi State yeah. uh, base on it. I don't even know who I would say for another team. Maybe the um, Pensacola, just when they do the Hawaiian shirt giveaway. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think the shirt is like anything special, to be completely honest with you. I just think watching their fans, for some reason with that giveaway, yeah. 
Blue Wahoos fans go crazy. And I just thought it was so funny seeing them line up for it. And we actually had, when they did that giveaway, the suspended game from the night before. So we were awkwardly in the middle of a game, but they didn't want to move the oh, gate times right. yeah, because yeah, yeah. of that giveaway. Yeah. So they opened the gates to not interfere with their giveaway 30 minutes into that game. So we were playing a game in an empty ballpark, and fans started streaming in in like the ninth inning of that game. And I, I don't know why, but these Hawaiian shirts, I mean, Pensacola fans go crazy for it. Beach towels, always a great giveaway. Um, did see a, a giveaway jersey. That a player was wearing this year, rip it. Yeah. <laughs> Intentionally. <laughs> I'm not going to mention who it was or what team it was, but it could have been in Rocket City <laughs> that a player ripped a giveaway jersey <laughs> off that someone had been, been auctioned on. off for charity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was interesting. Um, what is uh, Diddley doing in the offseason? That's a good question. I haven't seen him lately. I think he's planning on hitting some. Uh, some trips to some local schools, uh, reading program that we you guys still do the bookworms yep. program. Yeah, we'll start that up in uh, in January. So he'll be reading. He's still learning, like like the rest of the kids. Um, you know, trying to fully grasp learning to read. But um, I think that's in the in the cards for Diddley. Plays a lot of rock band. Yeah, um, Frida, his guitar. Him him and Frida hang out. I know he he does play a lot of rock band. Um, he. Uh, I think he plays golf too in the off season, something like that. But Diddley, our mascot, yeah, he'll, he'll, I'm sure he'll uh, he'll show himself on social media soon. But uh, um, that's pretty much all I had. Uh, I think it's a pretty solid year end uh, recap podcast. We may try to do a couple of these throughout uh, the off season. But uh, Jack, been a fun season. Obviously, again working with you, and I'm sure uh, we'll be in touch and uh, yeah. talking uh, baseball this off season with all the. Uh, postseason games, hopefully all the way to the World Series for the Atlanta Braves and hopefully hoisting that uh, Commissioner's Trophy again like in 2021. But it uh, takes, uh, takes a lot to, to, to do that, and uh, it's a whole nother season that will start. But uh, any final thoughts from you? No, I mean, I, like I mentioned at the beginning, just great year. Um, I couldn't have asked for a better group with this staff and, and working with you in the booth. And, you know, these are the kind of years that you look back and you just say, the group we had was just special and we kept a lot of these guys together this year, which was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, appreciate everybody treating us as well as they did this year. I mean, for people that don't know, it's a lot of times kind of the, the atmosphere you get in the clubhouse can largely determine how good your coverage can be mm-hmm. and how much, you know, you get to help these guys kind of show who they are, tell their stories and um, cover the team and 10 out of 10 effort that we got on their end. So I uh, really appreciate that and really couldn't have asked for a, a better 2023 and really excited to see what all these guys do in the future. Always uh, would like to do more coverage than we end up doing. Unfortunately, you know, time is, is, you know, sleep sometimes is prioritized over maybe doing some extra, extra stuff. But uh, yeah, it, you know, kind of co is a, uh, is a star, in the making as far as a manager, players love him. Uh, Bo Henning, um, you know, Denny Santiastavon, uh, Jefferson Romero, all, all guys that were, you know, tremendous to work yes. with this year. And and may, maybe the most approachable staff I've had in 14 years in the minors. I mean, I, I don't remember a single time I hesitated asking them a question or letting them explain a situation or, you know, to help us grow and be able to tell the stories as well. So, Kudos to those guys, and uh, should be a fun postseason and should be a fun offseason as well. So if uh, that's all we got, 
Thanks for tuning in here on the Embraves Radio Network podcast. And for all the Embraves information, you can log on to MississippiBraves.com.